0: Hello and welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. This is videocast episode 57, podcast episode 47 for the week ending November 20th, 2020. So welcome, exciting week. And as we always do, I want to kick off with some of our media spots because that's where we cover the most amount of material in the shortest amount of time in condensed format. So to kick it off, I'd like to thank Liz Clayman, uh, Jacqueline D'Ambrosi Scales, and of course, Ellie Terrett. Uh, she was out on Thursday when I was on the show. But uh, thanks to all three for having me on Thursday and we covered quite a bit in a short clip you can review all of these under the featured on button at the top of hedgefundtips.com you just click on that they all come up and you can watch the short video clips so um in this segment, uh, Liz was asking me about short-term volatility because the VIX had fallen materially uh, from 40 down to 23, 24. And were investors getting too complacent? I think she said it was down 39% this month. And there is some complacency and there is some froth coming in. But if you look out historically, as we covered, I believe, two weeks ago on our podcast videocast, if you want to actually call a top in a market, the place to call a top in a market is when the VIX hits 10. Uh, but but what I said in the segment was where I'd get, start to get aggressively defensive or start to get somewhat defensive is uh, if the VIX dropped below 15. So while we could get bouts of volatility in the short term uh, or a little bit of turbulence at 23 at this elevated level uh, of high implied volatility and expensive insurance. Remember I said when insurance is expensive, you want to be selling insurance and buying the market. And although it's come down 39% this month, it's still historically expensive. The average of all time is 18. In the last uh, decade, it's actually been lower than that. So uh, I don't get too Cautious uh, of the of the euphoria or the complacency until it drops below fifteen. Um, and what I said to to Liz is, while there might be, we might have a little bit of air uh, ter- turbulence and may hit a couple air pockets. You won't have to put on the oxygen mask, and I think that's a, a good way to capture what what's happening right now. Um, the other thing that we we talked about was the. Short-term voting machine versus the long-term weighing machine. One of Ben Graham's favorite quotes. That's Warren Buffett's mentor, and uh, and that's what we're dealing with right now. Is the short-term headlines of shutdown and restrictions versus the long-term fundamentals of um, potentials, uh, the lagged effect of the stimulus that's already in the system globally. Twelve trillion of fiscal, seven and a half trillion of monetary liquidity. So close to twenty trillion dollars of of stimulus uh, to solve a three three point six trillion dollar GDP contraction. There's always a six to nine month lag until that really starts to be felt in the economy, and um, so we're just in this kind of uh, no man's land, like like purgatory right now because growth slowing a little bit because you're having a, you know some regional shutdowns which we're going to talk a lot about on this video cast podcast. Um, but the vaccines are going to be kicking in in weeks. So Pfizer just uh, applied for emergency approval today, which usually takes a few weeks. And within a day later, everything's made, everything's ready to go. People will start getting vaccinated a day after they get that emergency authorization approval, which could be as soon as, um, you know, early December, mid-December, we'll have people getting vaccinated and uh, something like 20 to 40 million people Um, you know, between Moderna and Pfizer, probably by late January to, uh, I'm sorry, by late December to mid-January. And then by the end of Q2, it's estimated that we found out this week, it's estimated because the logistics has been pre-planned, because the the dosages have been made ahead of time, risking that they would have lost everything if they uh, didn't get approved, that 100% of our population will be able to Uh, be vaccinated by the end of Q2 and and potentially sooner. So uh, that's very, very exciting. And that's what the market is weighing in the short term a little slowing of growth from regional shutdowns and the short-term case spike. But in the intermediate term, which is like very, very quickly, you have these the lagged effect of the stimulus, you have the vaccine, you have the global pent up demand, you have earnings growth of 22%, you have GDP growth that's gonna be close to 6% because you've had 25% of M2 money supply growth year on year and usually about a fourth of that translates into GDP growth. Uh, so uh, so that's the push-pull, and and you see it on a day-to-day basis as you saw uh, the shutdown of the schools in New York that caused the market to sell off a couple days ago. Uh, you had Chicago uh, the day before that. Now you're having some restrictions in Philadelphia, and we know the roadmap. We know which cities are going to be shutting down, uh, and we'll talk some more about that in, in this uh, podcast videocast. Um, the other uh, point that I covered, because uh, Liz always wants to get a trade for her viewers, and I pointed back to we were on her show the Friday before the election. Uh, I believe it was the day before Halloween, October 30th. Um, and uh, the Dow was down eight or 900 points at that point, just as I was going on. And I said, Liz, this is a rotation, not a liquidation. It felt like a liquidation. People were getting really nervous into the election. And uh, we said at that point, we wanted to get involved in banks. We wanted to be uh, getting exposure into the weakness in in banks, defense stocks, and energy. And since that date, banks are up 24.5%. Defense stocks are up 26.5%. And energy is up 34.5%. Uh, We continue to like that theme for the next six to 12 months plus. And um, on the bank side, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, City, we've now got a ton of um, uh, Wells Fargo and Bank of America uh, calls that were out of the money that are now in the money or at the money uh, that will probably wind up uh, that have a, a good amount of time on them that will probably wind up exercising and uh and holding the stock for, for the long term because these are gonna be um you know certainly in the case of Wells Fargo doubles over the next year or two. Uh Bank of America, same thing, and uh and also Citibank is is another uh one we like. On the defense stocks when we were on, we talked GE and Raytheon. Um you can buy the defense stocks ETFs for that, ITA or um D F E N if you really want to juice it. Uh, and then energy, you know, you got to go the highest quality ExxonMobil. And then we also put a midstream uh, Kinder Morgan in there as well. And uh, and that was the theme of the segment. The rotation is real. We continue to like the same theme. We've been consistent with our message. And now we're getting paid and we're seeing that come to fruition here in a major way. And uh, and then you've got the two historical tailwinds behind it. Cyclicals outperform statistically the first six months of uh, after an election. And cyclicals outperformed, uh, relatively outperformed the first eight quarters uh, or so of a new business cycle, which we're in. How do we know? We had two quarters of negative GDP growth, Q1, Q2, and and then we just had our first quarter of positive GDP growth in Q3. Today, there was a note out by JP Morgan uh, calling for a negative uh, GDP in Q1. I think that is just uh, an analyst reacting to the short-term emotion of these shutdowns. I I think the pent-up demand is real. I think if we see 20, 30 million people vaccinated by the first few weeks of January, I I mean, you know, and there's probably, you have to keep in mind, there's probably another 30 to 50 million people with antibodies that don't even know it. So, you know, right there, you're... It's certainly well below herd immunity, but what you're going to see because of all the people with antibodies and vaccines is, despite the fact it will be dead in the middle of winter, you're going to see the case count plummet. When the case counts plummet, people are going to start to talk about herd immunity. Everyone's going to get excited. And by the way, the other thing that's the most important thing, I know a lot of people were afraid people wouldn't take the vaccine. You know, when you now see Pfizer re upped, uh, now they're at 95% efficacy. I'm sure Moderna will come back and say, no, 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 we're at 95.5. And then Pfizer will come back and say, no, 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 we're at 96. The point is, that, you know, the average flu vaccine is like a coin flip. It's been between 29% and 50% efficacious for the last handful of years. Uh, Usually, you know, the guess is it's going to be 50%. It's been worse than that the last handful of years. So to take a new vaccine that, you know, you had less than a 50-50% chance of working and, you know, potentially... You know undesirable effects now to see that it 's basically a hundred percent chance of working and it just deals explicitly with the spike protein, I think pretty much everyone 's going to take the vaccine I, I I could be wrong, but enough enough people will take the vaccine plus the people with the antibodies that the case counts are going to just absolutely plummet by january end of January, I would say, assuming everything goes according to schedule and um and with that the the global pent up demand is just bursting at the seams uh We're seeing it in China because they're a couple of a months ahead of us, and that's before the vaccine now, there was an article out that a million people have already been vaccinated with their china vaccine uh so far um and uh but um you know that that's very small numbers so they they've effectively had a full recovery to pre pandemic levels before the vaccine. Um, we're seeing that economically. You add the vaccine, you get velocity of that twenty trillion dollars we discussed, and we're just going to be off to the races. So, yeah, you might have day-to-day stuff where you get these these cities, uh, which we're going to talk about, you know, shutting down. There's there's a lot of nuance behind these shutdowns, and we're going to go go into it and delve into it carefully. So, again, um, thanks to Liz Clayman, Jack Jacqueline. D'Ambrosi Scales and always uh, Ellie Terrett, who is out this week, uh, out on Thursday, uh, for having me on. Moving on to, oh, the other thing I want to just make a note of here uh, Liz Klayman put out a tweet this week. Uh, you can follow her at Liz Clayman, L I Z C L A M A N, on Twitter. And she said, How can your heart not fill to the brim with admiration for my friend and hero, Staff Sergeant? Aaron Hale, blind and near death from an IED. That's that's a bomb. Uh, we gave him a mortgage-free custom home where he started. EOD Confections, which is a uh, business that he handcrafts these um, chocolates and fudge. We ordered boxes of it this week, by the way. Um, we're going to try to use it for a lot of Christmas and holiday gifts uh, and support this business. But also, she put this link so many more need our help. Join Liz's army. So go to Twitter at Liz Clayman. She put a link in her profile and I clicked on it. You can, and it just takes you to the website where you can donate whatever you feel like donating to help veterans get that have been injured to get these homes. And I think there's no greater charity than that to take care of the people that have Uh, protected our defense and freedom and done all of that. So uh, I definitely uh, took advantage of that. And I I encourage you to whatever extent you're able to uh, go ahead and click on that link and donate and help the veterans and, uh, and get them into houses. Um, Okay. Moving on. On Monday, I was on Cheddar TV with Kristen Scholler. I want to thank Kristen Scholler, Francesca Conti for inviting me on the show also, uh, Cara F- uh, Fellows and Taylor Craig for um, uh, supporting Francesca and getting it all organized uh, to get me on and uh, and get it all set. So this was a a, a much longer segment. We qu- covered quite a bit, um, much of which we covered in last week's um, video cast. So I'm not going to spend. Uh, go into as granular detail because it, 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 uh, it we, we've covered a lot of it. But just to do a few key things that I wanted to, to focus on, obviously the vaccine, flip the switch for the rotation that we covered from um, growth to cyclicals in large part in terms of relative outperformance, not zero sum, we've covered that many times. Uh, you know, energy had its best week ever. It was up 16.3 percent going into that interview. Financials was was the second, and value outperformed growth by its widest margin since 2001. So, um, the 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 key thing going into 2021 is that uh, I think. Earnings are conservative. And there are a couple other strategists that have come out saying the same thing. Um, David Kossin over at Goldman thinks that earnings for 2021 are going to be 175. Jim Paulson out of Luthold said 200. Uh, But they don't really go into why. And I spent a little time on that with Kristen uh, talking about upward revisions and how as people get vaccinated and that pent-up demand comes in, What's going to drive the upward revisions to earnings that's going to um, support the higher valuation in the stock market that you're seeing? From now, Morgan Stanley took up their price target to 3,900. Uh, Goldman was out last week taking their 2021 price target to 4,300 and 2022 uh, up to 4,600. And the way that I see it is that uh, I think banks are going to play a critical role because uh, while you've seen um, you know, uh, banks up 24%, 24.5% in the last couple of weeks. Defense stocks, 26%, energy up 34%. Tech was only up 11.5% during the same period. And the reason is uh, they're expected to grow at a slower pace than the S&P 500. S&P is going to grow at 22%, give or take. Uh, and uh, tech's going to grow at less than that, whereas financials, industrials, materials, energy are going to grow at that rate or much faster um so where we want to look for the upward revisions is in those sectors that are going to perform in line or faster than the S&P not the ones that are lagging behind because they pulled a tremendous amount of growth forward during uh coronavirus uh which is commonplace among communication services and among uh infotech so um there are two reasons that banks earnings are underappreciated and I think are going to be upwardly revised very very quickly. Number one is uh for the industry I talk often about the top 4 banks being over reserved by about 20 billion dollars uh in in my view uh but the industry as a whole is uh, set aside $110 billion of loan loss provisions in Q1 and Q2. They did that under, in, in the con- context of people were expecting 20% unemployment. Unemployment is now at 6.9%, and we saw this week that despite these mini shutdowns, and we'll have some short-term uh, initial claim spikes, the unemployment rate is at 6.9%. So it it not only didn't go up from 14.1 to 20, it actually cut in half from 14.1 to 6.9, but they have not yet released all of these reserves. And I think when all is said and done, They're probably going to release about half of these over the next eight quarter. And no one's talking about this right now, but, you know, just stay tuned. So if you think about, I I just want to do rough numbers and the analysts will chisel it down to, you know, perfect numbers. But if the market cap of the S&P is about 23 trillion and you're trading at about 21 times forward, give or take. So let's just call it a trillion some odd dollars of earnings. Uh, for the S&P, probably a little bit more than that. If you just on the reserve releases, forget about the, the yield curve is steepening and the demand for housing and 85 million millennials buying houses and uh, starting families and all those things that drive banks like crazy. Uh, just if they released half of the reserve um, the credit reserves, and they may wind up releasing more than that because stimulus could be coming quicker than anticipated. And we're going to talk about some developments that happened today. Um, But that's $55 billion of earnings. um, That's that's not yet factored into the S&P 500. So that's a 5% pop there. Then you have net interest margin that's going to increase materially, uh because of the yield curve steepening on a lagged basis because banks will then be incentivized to lend obviously that you get 20 30 40 million people vaccinated over the next 8 weeks from now maybe maybe 10 weeks uh you're going to see the case counts plummet you're going to see people go back to work you're going to see demand pick up for everything for travel for energy spending everything's going to come together all at once And this is not yet priced in because no one anticipated the vaccine, one, would be this efficacious and two, would come this quickly. Uh, So um, uh, it's and I think people have dramatically underestimated they're beating this drum. Well, yeah, maybe you'll get the vaccine, but you still have to distribute it. That's been put in place. The military has been put in place. And if you're underestimating the military, just think how quickly they put together hospitals and field hospitals in New York City overnight when they needed it. They put together so many so quickly that Governor Cuomo wound up not using any of it because there was just so much that they got done in such a short period of time. So the leadership has prepared. This distribution is gonna be quick. It's gonna be efficient. You know they'll spotlight some, you know, bad situations where people are confused in the short term. But I'm telling you, the minute you get the emergency authorization within 24 hours, people are going to be getting uh, vaccinated, starting with hospital workers and those most vulnerable in the uh, older population. And then from there, everyone's going to get it. And it's going to be fast. It's going to be furious. And people are going to be so excited to get back to normalcy. So um, so banks are going to be a major factor. The other major development was Boeing, the ungrounding of the 737. Now, I want to put this in context in terms of earnings. You know, uh, Boeing's still projected to lose a couple bucks next year year they lost $10 a share give or take this year let me just see if that's still accurate okay so now they're only going to lose $9 this year uh, and they're going to make a buck next year okay so they've taken it up a little bit so buck and a half okay I want to put this in context the first full year before they had this problem with the 737 max was 2018 they earned $17.86 a share okay so I think that, number one, the 737 Max has been ungrounded sooner than people expected, number one. Number two, I think people are underestimating the value of a 94 four or 95% efficacious uh, efficacy ratio of a vaccine that's going to cause such a demand for travel in such record time that people are going to be blown away. I mean, I'd hate to book a trip to Italy This summer or this fall It's probably going to be like five times As as expensive as it was A year and a half ago We were actually booked to go to Italy In February and we had to cancel our trip Because uh, they all started shutting down Um, But you know (laughs) Anyway it is what it is So uh, it's going to probably cost us Five times as much uh, In uh, next summer You know so no big deal Um, Nonetheless So So I think you've got two catalysts for earnings that are not priced in. Number one, I think you're gonna see 50, $55 billion for the banking sector come back. I think the net interest margin uh, is gonna dramatically improve um, profitability and encourage banks to incentivize banks to extend credit, which is gonna further support the recovery. So banks are gonna grow earnings. and And I think Boeing is a huge weight and if you get back to, even if you don't get back to double digits in 2021, which is probably too ambitious, if you start discounting 20, 25 dollars a share earnings in 2022 or 2023, uh, that is going to be material, and that's what how these type of price targets can be fulfilled moving forward. Um, Short-term headwinds we talked about. Retail sentiment still a little elevated. The AAII, we'll talk about that. Obviously, the short-term spike in in cases. Uh, It seemed like it spiked six days ago, November 13th. I think we spiked above it today. But again, um, uh, you know, the vaccine is coming. We just have to look through this short-term noise and these, you know, short-term shutdowns, which there's a lot behind these shutdowns uh, that we're going to explore um the intermediate term outlook, which which we covered with Kristen, easy money in the short term is made in the general indices, uh, but is just getting started in the cyclical and value trade. Uh, I think there's gonna be and I think it's gonna be a better trade than having even bought the indices in March and April when we wrote the Spanish Flu article um uh on March 18th and the market bottomed on March 23rd. I, I think there's more opportunity today in the cyclicals than there were in the general indices in March. That's how uh, promising this looks. So so we've been saying this for many, many weeks. You can review all of our uh, podcasts at um, um, hedgefundtips.com. Just scroll down to the right and you will see category um, videocast weekly recap or podcast. You can watch them there. And we also covered the eight catalysts for growth, looking through the short term, which we've which we've gone through. The vaccine, uh, divided government—that's huge. That uh, um, the Republicans hold the Senate in Georgia, so that the corporate tax rate stays at twenty-one percent. That will continue to have a positive impact on earnings. If that were reversed to twenty-eight percent, that would not be good. Uh, odds favor that. Staying status quo—that's a huge driver. Uh, Policy uncertainty should come down in coming months. Uh, V-shaped recovery is on track: five to six percent GDP in 2021. Upward earnings revisions—again, that is the key theme. That's what's new this week. You want to be on alert for upward earnings revisions. And the S&P earnings were actually upgraded again this week, which we're going to talk about at the end of the call um accommodative fed they're going to keep the short end pin the long end will do what it does which is steepen that's very positive both for bank earnings and and for credit expansion uh yield curve steepening and stimulus we're going to get stimulus we just may be getting it from a different source that we didn't anticipate and we're going to go in detail with that um the other issue that now supports the rotation is that there's no scarcity of growth. So in 2020, managers had to bid up growth because that was the only place, a handful of stocks and then some ancillary SaaS stocks where you could find growth in a slow growth economy. We're now moving into a fast growth economy, which means there's a plethora of options for managers to buy earnings growth, which means the multiples on the um, concentrated stocks that made up the greatest weight of the indices, FANG, PLUS, SAS, all the stay-at-home stocks, those multiples are going to normalize and come down to earth, whereas the cyclicals are going to start to raise multiples because earnings are going to rise, they're economically sensitive, and they do best in the early part of the cycle. So uh, thanks again to Kristen Scholler and Francesca Conte, as well as Kara and Taylor for having me on Cheddar. Uh, moving on to uh, Reuters on the 16th, which I think was Monday, uh, I want to thank Meta Singh and Shivani Kumarasan for having me in their article. The quote was, uh, this enables managers to now more broadly expose their portfolios to new pockets of growth. You could potentially have a bit of profit taking in the morning, but on the balance, There's not much to sell in this news in the fact that most managers went into the election flat footed and now they've got to play catch up into year end. So that still holds. I do do think there's going to be a real catch up trade. I do think managers were too defensive and flat footed. And I I don't think I know based on the price of insurance, there was demand for it, which means they were underweight, which means they got to catch up or find a new career. So um, uh, then on that night into the next day. Um, Chibuke Ogu and Alun John. I want to thank Chibuke for having me in these two articles. And, uh, my quote was, this is a continuation of what we saw last week as the vaccine, with the vaccine being the catalyst for rotation into cyclical sectors, such as energy, financials, and defense stocks with expectations for renewed demand and travel and uh, the light switch has really turned on and this is the real deal unlike some months back. So when we had that fake rotation in May into early June, that uh, collapsed when cases spiked back up and, and we had the uh, rotation from the Northeast to the Southwest and cases spiked and cases are gonna be squashed, 94% efficacy, it's weeks away, this is very, very exciting. Uh, the process begins weeks weeks away. Uh, And then the next quote was, this is a continuation of what we saw last week, the vaccine being the catalyst. Okay, so we got that. And then um, last night, Chibuke Ogu, thank you again. And I said, a meaningful stimulus package will aid some small companies, the underlying economy, as well as the unemployed and the people most at need. Um, And there might be less of an inclination for cities to shut down once once the stimulus is done. So uh, that is very nuanced and we have to kind of unpack that in the next few minutes as we we move into this because I was very concerned that a lot of cities were gonna shut down. I think there's a lower probability of that now based on some actions that Secretary Mnuchin took in the last 24 hours, so we'll see. Now, the other trend you know, we said, number one, you guys to focus on upward earnings revisions. That's going to be a key theme going into 2021. Number two, opinion follows trend. We talk about it every few weeks. This is key. So now you've seen this huge move since that Friday before the election in this rotation into cyclicals. And now every single article is now talking about getting into cyclicals. So Opinion follows trend and now they're interested, starting to get interested after a 30% move. They'll get really excited when they break out to new highs and they've missed the first 100%, but that's okay because there's probably another 100% behind it over the next few years. And that's just the way it always works. So um, so in this article, this is a Barron's article by Aaron Barry, he lays out the year to date performance um, for the different pockets. And this is where the opportunity is. So, so the S&P was up 11% uh, for the year, growth 28%. Again, those are those weights that are gonna now normalize and, and come off the boil. Value, uh, Russell 1000 value negative 4.6. Uh, uh, let's see, and Russell 2000 value, that small cap value negative 9.3, and Energy Select XLE negative 42.6. So that's where you're going to see your value. It's almost like the dogs of the Dow, where you buy the five. Highest yielding Dow stocks at the end of the year, the ones that perform the worst, uh, and then over, you know, they outperform in the next year. So what la- what's last becomes first, and and we have the same thing here. So if you want to know what's going to do well in the next 12 to 18 months, it's likely those things that lagged a, a bit behind. Again, energy, financials, and uh, defense stocks. We like those three aggressively, and that's uh, basically the case that he's making after they're popped up you know 20 30 off off the lows uh morgan stanley as i said upgraded their uh 20, 21 target to 3900 goldman was at uh 4300 next we have um astrazeneca came out today their vaccine produces strong immune response in older adults. So that's the AstraZeneca Oxford. So more and more, which means we're going to have more and more supply, probably more than the 40 million doses we're expected to have by the end of the year between Moderna and Pfizer. So if AstraZeneca comes on board, then we'll get probably an announcement from J&J. And uh, my guess is that J&J will be 95. 95.1 or 95.125% efficacy, they'll all be like 10 basis points better than the next. The key is they're all looking great, which is the most important thing. Um, uh, Moderna's uh, data came out better than Pfizer and then Pfizer came back and came out better than Moderna. Uh, Eli Lilly got a, a treatment approved very quickly for emergency use approval today uh yesterday rather they had an arthritis drug that helps with um combined with remdesivir uh, for treatment in adults and children who are hospitalized and require supplemental oxygen. So those are the most severe people and also the people with ventil- on ventilators. They're basically at the brink of death. You give them remdesivir, you give them this other pill. Uh, WHO came out with a hit piece on remdesivir. They've, they've been wrong about everything. So I would just leave that aside. Um, and um, this, is, this is very positive news from Lily. Um, Uh, as we covered Pfizer uh, requested emergency authorization approval today. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks, they'll get it. And then the vaccinations begin, uh, Boeing's back on track. We covered last week that this is also huge for not only Boeing, but for the airlines and it's huge for, um, GE and that's one that we've loved and, uh, and that's going to continue. So, um, here, again, Opinion Follows Trend, another article by Steve Goldstein in Market Watch. Fund managers have hopped on the rotation to value trade. Latest Bank of America survey shows, which we're going to cover that in detail. And uh, and that's what's happening. Next, um, OPEC is, sees the oil cut extension curbing the 2021 rise in oil stocks. So they look like they're going to extend for another three months at the 7.7 before uh, moving down to 5.7 barrels a day cuts, which will extend all the way through April 22. So that's a positive um, for, uh, for the energy sector. Occidental Petroleum actually finally got upgraded. From Susquehanna, again, uh, he says it's time to buy, opinion follows trends, so that stock was up. And you're seeing the upgrades now, so after they have the big moves, then everyone jumps on board. Uh, here was a good article from Carlton English over at Barron's, uh, there's still time to buy the regional banks, five stocks to grab now. Now to Carlton's credit, she's been ahead of the curve on banks. She was early in the summer, but uh, it's it's perfectly fine because they've continued to appreciate since then. And uh, and I give her credit because she was one of the few uh, journalists to get out ahead of the curve and get people positioned before the huge bounce. And as she says, there's still huge opportunity in the sector. Um, next again, uh, put bank stocks in the buy pile. If you think the Corona vaccine might help the economy, if you think the Corona vaccine will help mend the economy, you think, uh, I don't think that anything could be more of a catalyst to help the economy than a vaccine with 95% efficacy. Uh, so this was a great article by Philip Van Dorn over at market watch and he just laid out the case. Uh, and he did a good screener here, um the KBW bank index, which is KBE, I think is the ticker. Um, and he he sorted them out by price to book with City coming in at the low end, price to tangible book, City Wells, and CIT. CIT is more of a lender, like a business, small business lender. Um, and that's you know, we like we like Wells Fargo, we like City City, and we like uh Bank of America is not trading at quite the discount but um it it is still a, a quality franchise and um, and you can see he also has listed the dividend yields, et cetera so tremendous amount of opportunity, and again, opinion follows trend. As the price goes up, more of these articles, more of these analysts upgrades, which is going to force more of the institutional money in. And then you're going to get the reserve releases coming in in coming quarters. People are going to start to pay attention that stop looking at the absolute value of the 10 year yield and start looking at the spread, which we've covered every single week for the last three months. That uh, it's now 5X, the uh, 210 spread. That's what you want to focus on. That's where they, you know, it's the. It's the difference between what they pay for capital and what they charge for capital, what they borrow at and what they lend at. And that's the spread. And And if you look uh, just a couple of years ago, it, uh, August 2000 and um, August 2019, when the curve inverted, that spread was 10 or 12 basis points and banks were at all time highs. So, um Keep in mind, this is all of the stars are aligning for this sector, and now it 's starting to become closer to consensus and then once it 's truly consensus, all the managers will chase into it because they 're all dramatically underweight and we 're going to see that in it 's actually one of the most crowded trades in the institutional survey this month with short banks and long tech and and uh, history will tell you you always want to take the opposite side of a crowded boat, which is lightening up on tech as those multiples become normalized and increasing your weight to uh, banks as that short covering causes rip your face off rallies to the upside, which we started to see the beginning of in the last couple of weeks. Uh, Jeffries, here's another article, turns bullish through 2021 on financial stocks. So again, opinion follows trend. After the move, they get involved, and that's going to bring more and more money, more and more institutional elephants into the room. Uh, And he's pointing to actually what we've been talking about he he points to the $110 billion of loan losses, uh, the, those reserves being released uh, in, in forward months. So as this narrative becomes more ingrained and people go, oh, light bulb hits, uh, the money is going to chase. Um, again, <laughs> new home, our, our big thing in, in late March and early April was pounding the table on home builders. So now you're seeing all the positive articles after they're up 100%. Everyone's now saying, oh, I want home builders after they're up 100 percent, which means they're probably going to breathe a little bit for before they take the next leg up. And then they'll catch the second wave of buyers, which is the breakout buyers. And that's fine because it's going to be a long term secular move. And um, uh, so new home construction surges to post Great Recession high in October, driven by rise in single family starts. So and I think we got another number, new uh, existing housing sales. I think we're at a 14 year high this week we'll we'll go and look at that data before the end so city got upgraded uh, by keith bruyette this week again opinion follows trend price target 65 dollars um, wells fargo got upgraded this week by da davidson price target 31 dollars. They're way under the curve. It's going to be much higher than that 12 months uh, to 24 months out, but uh, it's a move in the right direction, and and it's a bold call right now because again that you know Apple was the most loved stock. We did the article in April. Uh, Apple was the most loved stock in the S and P when it was at 130. Uh, then it traded down to uh, you know below 120, uh, down to I think 103. It's been in a short-term downtrend. And Wells was the most hated, and, and now it's it's starting to move big time the last few weeks. Um, uh, this is a bold call by Tom Lee over at Fundstrat. I like his stuff. Um, he's calling for a 7% surge into year-end. And he laid out these 10 reasons, which is interesting. This article came out uh, yesterday. Uh, it's basically seven of the 10 reasons that we covered on Kristen's show on Monday, and then he added a couple other interesting ones. The vaccine, uh, soft—he makes the distinction that policymakers are pushing for soft lockdowns versus killing the recovery. Let's hope that continues. I think uh, I think closing the New York schools was a little heavy-handed and unwise because it forces parents to stay home and it disproportionately hurts the poorest people. Um, pent up demand is the us look at the output gap that was a that was a good uh point China seeing massive explosive economic recovery we've been covering that every single week with our cgtn spots and a fiscal stimulus coming we'll talk about that five 4.5 trillion of cash on the sidelines i'll show you uh, uh, some charting on that and santa claus rally and the fed is dovish so uh we talked about the fed already This is from Sentiment Trader over at um, Twitter, at Sentiment Trader. This is a great chart. Everyone's complaining about the uh, VIX being so so elevated, but in effect, this is the beginning. It it hits these levels at beginnings of new cycles, not at the end. Um, It would only join... Uh, It would join only April 2003 and October 2009 as ending streaks this long at this elevated of a level. So, again, it spiked to 40, and now it's coming off the boil. It's um, down in the low 20s, but that happens after huge spikes, and that starts the beginning of new cycles. So what's interesting here is in October of 2009, you'd already had a monster, you know, 40, 50, I, I think um 600 to 1200 i i don't know it might have been close to a 100% rally because the S&P got to 666 i don't know if it got up to 1200 by the summer but people are like well now we got to take the second leg, leg down we're up 100% in 6 months or whatever it was 80% it's similar to the type of rebound we've had here And yeah, they got this little pullback in it. it, First off, it kept rallying after October 2009, well into 2010 and not until 2010 did you get the correction in the fall. And then you know it was just the beginning of the bull market. So uh, same thing in 2003, it was the beginning of a long-term bull market. And I think we're in the same exact situation, even if you get this noise like you get after that first big run, you get these kind of breathers after the first big run. So that was a really nice chart from Sentiment Trader. Uh, this is a guy named Macro Charts, M-A-C-R-O. I like this because this has kind of been my template. Also, if you've seen my CNBC Indonesia when I'm talking about a long-term commodity cycle and emerging markets and a weakening dollar, the template has been the, the early 2000s. And he put these charts side by side. This is the XLE, which is the energy sector, and he kind of showed how um, it's breaking above, you know, the the the. Uh, 200 day moving average, um, and it looks exactly like that trend in 2002 to 2003, which was the bottom of a six year monster site commodity cycle led by energy. And I think we're coming into the same thing. And people are like, well, how could you say that if President Biden is the new president? Isn't he all about green stuff? Yeah, he's going to make it harder to drill, which is going to cut supply, which is going to make the big companies bigger and more profitable. The the marginal players are going to go bankrupt. And the price of oil is going to go back up to 60, 70, 80 dollars because Uh, We don't have enough renewables yet. We will in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, no matter how fast the Green New Deal gets implemented or if it gets implemented. But in the short term, it's going to be a bonanza for the big uh, energy players. And we're going to be back at three, four... Maybe $5 at the pump in the short term until the renewables kick in. So that's extremely bullish for energy. And this setup is exactly the same as, as the early 2000s. And I think this is going to be a secular move for the next five plus years in commodities and energy. And start with the highest quality and then work your way down. Jurian Timmer over at Fidelity. Timmer Fidel, at Timmer Fidelity. You can follow him. He put this out, small cap value stocks are catching up to large cap growth stocks, both on an absolute and relative basis. In other words, market leadership is broadening out, which is consistent with early cycle bull market. Early cycle bull market. That's the key thing. And you can see here in brown, this is the Russell values spiking up like crazy. And the Russell growth is starting to slow down. And the s and is right in the middle, which is a combination of, of growth and value. Uh, Sarah Ponzek uh, at s a r a h p o n c z e k she 's uh at Bloomberg she puts out some great charts i definitely follow her uh strongest eleven day rally in the russell two thousand which is small caps up fifteen percent for small caps this is the uh, biggest rally since two thousand and eleven so um this looks huge, right? Except this, it did the same thing in 2011. And then maybe you had some short-term noise where it consolidated sideways, but it was the beginning of a multi-year long run. Same thing in 2015-16. It did a similar type monster move, takes a little break, and then it just continues for, for multiple years. And I think we're again in a similar phase uh, with small caps uh, there david keller i thought this was the greatest chart of the week he's a he works for stockcharts.com and d keller cmt on twitter and i love this because everyone was saying uh oh we're at 90 90 percent of s p stocks are greater than the 200 day moving average we're overbought we're gonna crash and he he made the point that while it sounds frothy it usually happens after major lows and leads to much further gains after major lows means the end of an old cycle after the crash the beginning of a new cycle you get these monster moves from from you know you you get down to like 5% above the 200-day moving average or in some cases you get as low as 1 or 2% like you did in 2009 you get that abrupt thrust above 90 that first thrust and you see here this is the S&P it does you know rest for a month or two And then it continues the four year cycle, even after such a momentous move, did the exact same thing in late 2009, which is also consistent with that October 2009 chart, which we just covered the same exact period. And yeah, you rallied more then you had to pull back into, the, you know, six to nine months later. We'll probably have one of those maybe fall of next year. And then you continue the uptrend for secular trend for multi years. And uh, and we have the exact same setup right now where we had this huge monster. We've rested for a couple of months here, chopped sideways. And now we can probably make a little bit more move before we get a, a bigger rest sometime next year uh mid year probably after all the good news is priced in and then we have to look forward to uh 2022 earnings and see if they're going to sustain uh which I think they will given the amount of money in the system so great chart by david and then um this lady Callie Cox um she put out this chart of the S&P's average path in all years since 1950 this is just a composite uh of the general uh um market performance cyclical uh, seasonal market performance and she talks about the pink arrow shows where we are right now november 19th so this was yesterday and that's exactly what we've had we kind of had this huge shoot up off the election then a sideways consolidation this week uh to down close down and then you know that that seven percent rally that um tom lee's looking for at funstrat would match the average performance it doesn't mean it's going to happen this year but on average, you do get this strength into year end because, and I think this year more than others, managers are really going to be forced to chase because they were flat-footed into the election drama. So um, this could be very, very positive. That's Cali C-A-L-L-I-E-A-B-O-S-T, great chart, Cali. Uh Okay, this week, um, by the way, for those of you on the podcast, you will get cut off in 10 minutes. We might get through it all in 10 minutes, but probably not. In which case, go to hedgefundtips.com and you can watch the video cast. Either just scroll down here on the right side and click on video cast weekly recap. Um by the way, I put this button here, follow us on Parlor. you know, I'm gonna try it out. I watch Maria Bartiromo's show. She's big on Parlor. Uh I'll see how I like it. I'm I'm kind of a centerist, but um, You know, know, I I could almost be an independent, but, you know, uh, I'm going to do it just because it's growing like a weed and it's just one more place that I can put out my ideas. If you want to follow me there, you can follow me there. I don't know if I'm going to stay with it or not, but I'm going to definitely... Uh, test it out. I'm on basically everything from TikTok to Parler to Twitter to Instagram. We we put out our content everywhere and that's just one more place to go and we'll see how that goes. So it's not making any type of statement other than the fact a lot of people are there and uh, we'll, we'll send them the information and see how it goes. Um, okay, so here we are on the November Bank of America Global Fund Manager survey results. Uh, this was the first month that you saw in earnest, a move beginning move into cyclicals and staples. So they started to, um, uh, believe that small caps were going to outperform large caps. That's a sign of risk on. They started to move into emerging markets. They started to believe in value will outperform growth. This is all new in the last 30 days. And they started to get a little bit of exposure to banks, despite believing that banks was the second most crowded trade so there's this 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 transition period this purgatory position where they're coming from hell they're in purgatory they're moving to heaven and that's that's the the trajectory of banks and even energy start to get bid so that was good and then they started to move out of defensives like staples they started to move out of cash they started to move out of bonds move out of health care etc so that was positive to see Um, This was, again, a couple hundred managers with over a half a trillion dollars of assets. Growth expectations are at 20-year highs. Most people pointed to this chart like it was bearish. This is bullish. The last time this happened was March 2002, which was the beginning of a six-year bull market. So uh, this is absolutely bullish. Again, this is one of those things that goes extreme off the first move. Happened again in mid-2009. All of these are pointing to the same thing. Yeah, we've had a huge run off the bottom. And we may go consolidate sideways for a little bit. And it's just the beginning of a longer term business cycle. So that was really good. Profit level expectations are also at the the you know highest since March 2002. Again, of course they are. They're so low this year. Of course, they got to get better. Now, this was one of the most important charts, I thought. The yield curve expectations were at all time highs. If I didn't mention it, all of this is from the Bank of America Global Fund Manager Survey. That's the source of all of this. Now, The last uh, few times that yield curve expectations got this high, meaning um, net percent expecting a steeper yield curve, every single one of these last three times, this is the fourth time, banks had monster rallies. And we're going to talk about that in the article of the week um what asset classes do you think will outperform in 2021 the top three listed were emerging markets s p 500 and oil oil is new that's really really positive to see that's a sign of confidence in cyclicals uh cash levels started to come down people pointed to this as a very bearish uh, thing because they're looking at recency bias which was in february of 2020 you got cash levels this low right before you had the crash and um and, and that's the purest definition of recency bias the difference between that and this is we're coming out of the coronavirus not going into the coronavirus and the last time you had cash levels that were way lower than this even which would be more bearish was what after the huge rip off the 2011 lows cash drop managers chased again right into year end and it was the beginning of a three-year bull market into 2015, 2000, two-year bull market into 2015, 2016. Let's see, wait, one, two, three-year bull, two and a half to three-year bull market went after cash levels dropped this low. So yeah, you had the hiccups. Again, huge rally. This is a, this looks like an arithmetic chart because it's showing this is flat. This was very steep. This was as steep as this was. If it was on a log chart, you would see that. But... um uh this this is this is the kind of cash levels that you see when people have to chase after they've missed this huge thing this was an exception because of the coronavirus so i think this is again pointing to those extremes that happen after those runs in the beginning of a new cycle uh this was fund manager survey positioning versus history Uh, it still shows on balance there's still two underweight energy there's still two underweight banks um and uh and and that's going to change small caps will be large caps that's a sign of risk on. that's a good thing to see same thing happened right in the uh early stages of 2009 after the 2008 crisis and again that was the beginning of a bull market most crowded trade we see here uh long so so managers felt they're starting to feel less that long tech is the most crowded that came down month on month Uh, But it's still very high because why opinion follows trends. If you recall, we had a correction in in Fang uh, in previous months, but they went up and they started to feel that short banks are getting too crowded, which is good to see because these two are going to reverse. I think you're going to see massive short covering in banks, long banks, and you're going to see people lightening up on the overweight tax, which is very, very good position to be in. Biggest tail risk, COVID. That was pre-vaccine because this survey ended on the 12th. Uh, tech tech bubble, uh, that, yeah, civil unrest, a credit event, U.S.-China trade war. So uh, those are basically the same every month in the last few months. And the contrarian trade, the Q4 contrarian bulls would p- position for a completion of the full bull reopen. Um, contrarian bears would go for a flatter. Okay. So... That means that you'd want to be getting exposure into energy stocks, banks, etc., cetera, uh, cyclical stocks. So Michael Hartnett, reopening rotation can continue in Q4, um, but sell the vaccine as we're close to full bull. That's interesting. So we did consolidate this week. I think they're getting a little too cute here because um, – We've moved so much off the bottom and we're stuck in the recency bias. We're not stuck into if you go to the, through those four or five charts that I just covered, the behavior is much different off a new cycle bounce than a, a mid cycle bounce. So new cycle bounce, you get that extreme move. And recency bias thinks you're going back down, but it's actually just beginning. So I, I, while we could consolidate, I wouldn't get too cute with this. This this, this rotation has, hasn't even started. Now for the article of the week, the ACDC thunderstruck stock market and sentiment results. I put this out the day after the uh, uh, mayor of New York decided to put a million kids out of school because the arbitrary positivity ratio hit 3%, despite the fact there have been absolutely zero deaths the problem first off i love this song from acdc thunderstruck i'm not going to play it for you now but i'd suggest you play it on your own time um effectively what this is going to do is uh it's going to impair their parents ability to work earn money and contribute to the economy uh and it disproportionately hurts students of lower socioeconomic status as they might not have the proper equipment internet connection or support system to keep up with their schoolwork remotely And this is a disadvantage in their development years that will haunt them through their entire lives. You know, when you're older, six months, it's like, oh, it's no big deal. When you're between five or three and 15 years old, you miss six months of school. You're toast. You don't ever catch that opportunity back up in the right way at the right time. This is a huge mistake. And. Uh, The stuff just doesn't get delivered. That's why, you know, everyone does pods or they do explicit homeschool or tutors that can afford to. And the ones that can't really get left behind and it's not a good thing. So um, what's going on here is there's a subtext going on in these regional shutdowns. And they're they're targeted to those areas that are in desperate financial uh, situations even prior to COVID hitting. And you'll see that city by city, you can almost track it to the worst financially structured cities prior to COVID are the first ones to shut down. And the subtext is, we don't have the money to properly keep schools open with the virus. So if you'll just pass a $3 trillion stimulus package, we can reopen properly. Now, some of that stimulus money will go to equipment for the schools and ways to keep it open. But the majority of the money in the $3 trillion that they're asking for is going to unfunded pension liabilities. And that's really just been the crux of the disagreement. Because if you look at how much do we need to save small businesses with another PPP, it's about 100 to $150 billion could save millions and millions of jobs and put millions and millions of people back to work. How much is another stimulus check if you wanted to give everyone $1,200 again that, uh, that needed it? It's about, I think, maximum $300 billion. So now you're at $450 billion. Then you give $25 billion to the airlines, another $25 billion to hospitals. You're at $500 billion. Well, guess what? Secretary Mnuchin just came up with the money for you because what he said was, I'm not extending the municipal lending backstop for the cities and I'm not extending the main street lending program because it wasn't being used. Give me the money back. It's $500 billion.